Each of our readings this weekend deal very bluntly with the impact and the revelatory power of our words. The words that we say tell us a whole lot about what's going on in our own hearts and what our character really is like. Our first reading from the book of Sirach told us that the fruit of a tree shows the care it has had. So too does one's speech disclose the bent of one's mind. The author then goes on to say that we should praise no one before he speaks, for it is then that people are tested. Then in our gospel, Jesus echoes pretty much the exact same teaching, telling us that a good, a good tree does not bear rotten fruit, nor does a rotten tree bear good fruit. That every tree is known by its own fruit, good or bad, it is from the fullness of the heart that the mouth speaks. From all of this, it's perfectly clear, the way that we speak reveals our heart. It's one of the great tests of our integrity and our maturity. Words are powerful. They have the power to create In the beginning, God spoke, and everything came to be. Let there be light, he said, and then there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, through whom everything came to be. Words are powerful. But they also have the power to destroy, don't they? They can pierce us where we are most vulnerable. They can make us self-conscious. They can expose our deepest weaknesses. They can dismantle our confidence and our security in an instant. Now, given how serious and how powerful words really are, perhaps it would be helpful today to review the most common sins of the tongue. And thankfully, Monsignor Charles Pope did most of the heavy lifting for me because he just wrote an article recently outlining all of the most common ways that we tend to misuse the great power of our words. So let's run down that list together today. And as I share these various sins of the tongue, consider them in your own heart. Examine your own conscience and ask yourself, have I given in to any of these patterns of speech? Because we all have, right? None of us are sinless in this regard. So let us, as Jesus just told us to, notice the wooden beam in our own eyes first. Because we all, I think, need to grow in self-control in this area. And we cannot hope to become more virtuous in our words without God's grace and without God's mercy. So with all of that firmly in mind, let's put a name to and kind of expose some of the most common ways we misuse words. The first and perhaps most obvious one is lying. Lying directly breaks the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Lying is when we speak falsehoods, 
inaccuracies with the express motivation of misleading others. Maybe we try to give wrong information that makes us look a little bit better. Or maybe it makes someone else look a little bit worse. Maybe we pretend not to know something that is very important to the issue at hand when we actually full well do know something. Lying can take any number of forms, but the antidote is always telling the truth, even when it's very costly. Lying only gets us more and more entangled, more and more stuck, but telling the truth sets us free. Another sin of the tongue is backbiting. So backbiting is when we choose to talk about others behind their backs, harming their good name through what is often called detraction. Often enough, the backbiter really only has to say true things, or at least partially true things. And therein lies the deepest pain that the backbiter may be able to inflict. A backbiter can even feel a little justified, right? Well, I'm only telling the truth. I'm only saying true things, right? But he or she isn't actually sharing that information to build someone up, but rather to tear someone down. That sort of behavior is connected to our next common sin of the tongue, which is indiscretion. Indiscretion involves the spreading of confidential, unnecessary, or hurtful information about others. One of the gravest acts of indiscretion would be for a priest to share something that he heard in the confessional. This would be breaking the seal of the confessional. And it would be so serious, in fact, that if any priest does dare to do such a terrible thing, even if he's put on trial, even if he's being forced by the authorities to try to break the seal, if he does, he will be defrocked. That's how serious we take the anonymity of the confessional. But indiscretion could be much less serious in its scope. It might involve simply telling people information that isn't really yours to share. We make ourselves less trustworthy, I think, when we do stuff like that. People are less likely to share their hearts with us. The next sin of the tongue is flattery. At first, that doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? Isn't it good when we praise someone? Well, of course it is. We need to hear people praising us for our good qualities. But sinful flattery is when we exaggerate all of the good qualities in others just so that we can then use those people and manipulate them for our own advantage. Why are we complimenting people? Why are we choosing to go over and talk to that person rather than that other person? Could it be some form of subtle flattery? Could we be speaking and using our words only for some sort of selfish gain? We should ask ourselves that honestly. Another sin of the tongue is boasting. Now, of course, we should boast in the Lord, right? We should boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what I'm talking about here when I say boasting is something different than being confident about the things that we should be confident about. But boasting in a sinful sense involves the person being overly certain 
or asserting themselves, drawing a little bit too much attention to themselves. Nobody likes a show-off, right? Nobody does. It's annoying. Then there is also the problem of oversharing, namely saying way too much. We might divulge too much about ourselves. We might open up our heart a little too much with the wrong people or just go on and on and on and on. We've all been around people like that, right? Where they just want to complain or gripe and and they selfishly waste everybody's time enjoying whatever audience they can scramble together, whatever audience is willing to listen to them. Perhaps this is one of the most common sins of the tongue. And perhaps you think that I'm guilty of this when I go on and on and on up here at the pulpit. Well, if you do think that, and if you do say that, then you might be guilty of another sin of the tongue called rashness. Rashness is when we say something or we render a word of judgment before we really ought to, usually without having all of the relevant information. We're familiar with this particular sin every single time we go onto Facebook. We see everyone there rushing to share their rash opinions as if their opinion is going to somehow change or maybe even save the world without first gathering all of the necessary context and all of the nuance that's really there. Everyone wants to post hot takes these days, even if they have to leave out a lot of information in doing so. One of the problems with those hot takes that we see on Twitter or Facebook every day, those rash words, is that they almost inevitably lead to our next sin of the tongue, which is quarreling. Quarreling is much different than arguing. Arguing is a lost art of sorts, one that we badly need to recover as a society. Arguing just involves making a well-reasoned case for one's legitimate position and then defending it with charity, even with passion. Quarreling is different, however. Quarreling is when we jab at one another or tear one another apart in an overly opinionated way, attacking others personally and even provoking unnecessary division. When quarreling escalates, there is then the greater temptation to commit yet another sin of the tongue, which is cursing. Cursing is when we wish harm upon others, or when we speak harshly or severely. We might even use vulgarities or slurs, or maybe we even take the Lord's name in vain. It's not befitting. It's not befitting our status as sons and daughters of God. Now, last but certainly not least, another sin of the tongue can be silence. Now, usually silence is a good thing, right? We, we absolutely have to make time for silence in our lives so that we can hear God's voice. And you might even wonder, well, how can silence possibly be a sin of the tongue if it involves not saying anything? But here, I'm actually referring to silence as a sin of omission. We can commit sins of commission, but there's also such things as sins of omission. 
where we choose not to do something that we should. So maybe we've run into the situation where someone insults or denigrates the Catholic Church, maybe, maybe at our work, let us say. Do we remain silent? Maybe rather than starting a quarrel or being resentful to that person, maybe we could offer a positive word instead. You know, I'm a practicing Catholic, and I love my church. I love St. Andrew's. I'm fed by Jesus in the Eucharist. My priest offers me forgiveness for all of my sins in the sacrament of penance. I don't know where I'd be without the church. When we fail to speak up, when we don't warn people about sin, or when we choose not to announce the good news of Jesus and his teachings, this too, believe it or not, can be a sin of the tongue. Now, I hope that this little examination is helpful, but let's now turn to something a little bit more positive, because in stark contrast to all of these bad and destructive ways that we use our words, our psalm this weekend, Psalm 92, gives us the ultimate cure for all of these various sins of the tongue. Psalm 92 says, and it was the refrain that we just sang together, Lord, it is good to give thanks to you. These are by far the best possible words that could ever come out of our mouths. They are the good fruit born from every good tree. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. Despite everything that's going on in our world right now, despite all of the brokenness, that everything seems to be falling apart, despite what some might say is the threat of some sort of world war brewing. Despite all of that, thank you. You are good, Lord. Thank you. You are holy. You are deserving of all praise, honor, and glory. It is certainly very good to give thanks to the Lord, to proclaim his kindness at dawn and his faithfulness throughout the night. And that is precisely what we do at every single Mass that we celebrate together. The Eucharist is giving thanks to the Lord. The priest says it point blank, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, and you all reply, it is right and just. We offer up to God the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ himself, the Word made flesh in the most holy Eucharist. The most perfect, the most profound words are those of the Holy Mass, the words of Christ himself. This is my body. This is my blood. With those simple little words, we believe as Christians that death is swallowed up in victory. And so we can cry out in the words that St. Paul gives us from our second reading today in 1 Corinthians, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? We can taunt death. Every one of us here has been hurt by someone's harsh or destructive words. I know that as I was growing up, I got bullied at school, and I felt like a loser because of other people's words. Unfortunately, however, every single one of us has also hurt someone with our words in return.
Maybe it was a stranger on the street or on the internet, somebody that we work with. Maybe it was one of our closest family members. But I guess my encouragement to you all this morning is, don't give up. Stand firm, as St. Paul said. Let's make a firm resolution to do everything and to say everything for the glory of God, to use our words wisely and carefully. Let's allow the words of Jesus to define us instead. Because what does the Lord have to say about you and me? Does he say that you are bad? Does he say that you are hopeless? Does he say that you are not worth his time, that you are not worth the cross? Does he berate or insult you? No, absolutely not. He speaks love over you. He speaks the fullness of truth over you. He speaks words of of clear exhortation and, yes, of conviction of sin. He invites each one of us to the full repentance and renunciation of all of our sins. And he speaks to us unambiguously about how we can all live a more holy and more radically Christ-centered life. But he will never speak words of accusation over us. He will never belittle us or make us feel dumb. He only has words of support and gentle encouragement, encouragement to real virtue, to real life, to real happiness, and, and to real sacrifice. Do you believe that about our God? Do you believe that his speech, his words, are spirit and life, healing and hope, goodness and truth? If so, then let us in turn strive to pattern our own words, our own speech, after his.